I'd like you to turn in your Bibles for my message this morning, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. It's the story of the angel's message to the shepherds. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Tucked away in a tiny verse in brackets, in the middle of the book of Ephesians, we find an amazing truth. Almost as an aside, the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse of the amazing love God exhibited at Christmas time when he initiated his great rescue mission for humanity. Ephesians 4 verse 9, he, that is Christ, ascended. But what does it mean but that he also first descended? into the lower parts of the earth. He ascended, but he also first descended to the lowest, lower parts of the earth. Now, I wonder if you can give me the name of this uh, carol. We have, to, we have to teach our worship leading, uh, leaders and musicians the carols each year because some of these people haven't grown up with the, the carol singing tradition, but I know many of you faithful, annual Kensington Temple stalwarts of the faith will give me the first line of this carol, but the, the uh, sentence I'm quoting is, He came down to earth from heaven, who is Christ, the Lord of all. How does that begin? Oh, a chorus. A chorus. It's like the heavenly angels, once in royal David city. But the, those lines I quoted, He came down to earth from heaven, who is Christ, the Lord of all might easily have been based on that, that verse from Ephesians that I, I've just read. Imagine the Christ who is now exalted in all his fully deserving glory and honor in heaven is the same one who first came down to the lower parts of the earth. So we're focusing on that today. God coming down. And in the story I read to you of the shepherds and the angels, we see two great bits of information that the angels announced. The first was the birth of this baby, a savior, who is Christ, who is the Lord. Uh, Luke 2 verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you, and as I say this, I'm sure you're hearing it, 
the lovely cries of a baby. Just on cue. Thank you very much for that audio-visual aid. And, and please, don't be embarrassed. We should, any time of the year, we shouldn't be embarrassed about babies. It's right here and now. Okay, good tidings of great joy will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's that first announcement. Then the second announcement comes in, and here he announces not just the birth of a baby, but a change in the cosmos. The gap between heaven and earth has been removed. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Not just glory to God in the high street. I mean, this is the first Christmas. This isn't the 21st century Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And this tells us what Christmas is all about. This unbridgeable gap has been mended because a rescue plan has been effected. Mending the gap. I, when I was uh, first in London as a sweet 16-year-old, you think I'm looking sweet today? You should have seen, seen me then. A brand new to this city, uh, about to go and uh, enter school and train in the, in the media and the arts. And um, I was fascinated, a little bit frightened to begin with, but fascinated by the underground system. So they talked about the tube. That didn't sound very inviting. Oh, where is it? It's underground. It's an underground tube. I heard of weird people in London, but had to experience this for myself. And then when I got used to riding around the place, I was particularly fascinated by Bank uh, Underground Station. And now there's still a recording of this, but the original, Man of the Gap, it, they, they've changed that. But he was very, very, very strong in his, in his English accent. Mend the gap. Mend the gap. And I thought, I've only been here five minutes asking me to mend the gap already. <laughs> what is the gap that God has mended between heaven and earth? Well, obviously, there's a physical gap. There is this big difference between spirit and matter between spirit and the physical world. And I emphasize this, although we know that gap has been bridged, because it's still an issue for many of us today. When we worship God, we worship one whom we do not see. He is the invisible, unseen God. And that's difficult, because we're so used to living in the world, which we can see and feel and touch, that we still kind of think that that world is the real world. You know, the world you can taste and uh, the world you can touch. And, and everywhere around us, we have people who are saying, that's the only world you should be bothered about. It's the only world you know about. But when we, as Christians, worship the unseen, invisible God, sometimes it's difficult because we want to concentrate on the things that are really real and it's hard to say we walk by faith and not by sight. That's why so many of us still struggle with the physical world and, and we still depend on it. We, we want the warmth of, of physicality. We want stuff that we can taste and experience, something that we can access by our senses. And if we are not careful, we're still stuck in a world of sensuality. 
But this gap between spirit and the world has been bridged. The God who created all things. One of the things I enjoy about the Christian faith is that it doesn't play down the reality of the physical world. The ancient Greek philosophers had a difficulty with that. They thought the way to kind of enjoy the spirit world was to be done with the physical world, that all your death was about escaping from physicality. But our Bible talks about an eternal life which shall be experienced in a fully physical, resurrected body like Jesus' body. So the Bible doesn't put spirit on one side and matter on another side and say it doesn't work together because God created this physical world and I'm very glad that I'm living in the body. Otherwise, I would be somewhere else and we'd be having a funeral service, I guess. But I'm very glad because some of the good things are what we can see and touch and taste and feel. And God's created us all things richly to enjoy. This tells us that God is not ashamed of the creation that he created. He made it for his glory and he loves it so much that he has always been here. Always been here. He loves to interact with his physical world, the world that he created. He made it, it was good, very good, and and he is the God who's not just afar off in some heavenly place. He is the God who always draws near. So the incarnation that God would manifest himself in a physical body in truly and fully human form on this planet is not incredible. It's wonderful, but it's not incredible. And this immediately puts us apart from many other religious views and philosophies. Because there are certain religions that teach it's impossible. No way would God ever deign to mix with us people down here. No way would he possibly could take human form. But our God is the God of the impossible. Nothing's impossible with him. Our God is so great that he can manifest himself physically in this world. It's wonderful, not incredible. And the Christmas story reminds us that he has actually come down to earth to manifest himself. God is very mindful that we are people with bodies. He made us spirit, soul, and body. He knows about our physicality. And uh, throughout history, God has always revealed himself in ways that are accessible to our senses. He appears in visions and dreams and actually appears to people as real as you and I, has done so throughout history. And and even for us today, there are probably people in this service who could testify to the fact that they have actually heard, or so it seemed like to them, the audible voice of God. I've never had that. We've got the written word of God. Nobody is deprived if we haven't heard him speak audibly and physically because we have his word, but he does, does do that. People speak about dreams and visions, and, and, and us charismatic Pentecostal believers believe that the Holy Spirit does manifest in ways that we can feel him. I mean, there have been times I've been so in sensing God's presence that I, that I feel I could reach out and touch him. And he does make himself real. And so in all these ways, it speaks about God's desire to show himself. And that's what he did in the Christmas story. John 1 verse 14 says, And the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten. And the word begotten is a bad translation. It's not about generating and begetting. The actual word means unique. So if you're following in the NIV version, you've got a better translation. Let me tell you, the, the, as of the glory of the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth, God's one and only Son manifested in this world by being born and, and, and living in babyhood and infancy and, and young adulthood and adolescence and, ad, and then into adulthood. God manifested himself into this physical world. So this bridge between the unseen and the seen has been bridged in Christ. But there's another gap. There's a time gap. A time gap. And uh, this stretches our mind a little bit because very often when we think of heaven, we think of eternity, and we have no concept of what time would be like in heaven. And this is a problem that people are thinking about even here in the physical world. What is time to us? We know the earth is turning on its axis. It takes, don't get too scientific on me, but it takes 24 hours or so, and then it revolves around the sun, giving us the seasons for a, for a full year, 364 and three quarters or whatever it is, whatever the, the timing is. By the way, the 21st of December, this is winter, equinox, and so from tomorrow onwards, miraculously, the days should get longer. Hallelujah. So this is how we have our concept of time within the particular part of the universe where we live. But suppose we were living on another planet that took six of our Earth days for one day. I wonder if we'd grow older quicker or not. I, I, I don't know. But what, what we ha what's happening here is we're seeing that there are different ways of looking at time. And I'm sure that heaven has its own time. I don't think there are no clocks, there are heavenly clocks. But how is time measured in heaven? It's outside of our earthly imagination, and therefore we feel a gulf, a distance, something that we can't relate to. But the Christmas story tells us that God is the Lord of time. He is the one and only and truly time Lord. Doctor Who, eat your heart out. Temporal. The gap between time and eternity. He lives in heavenly time, but he's aware of earthly time. The times and seasons are in his hands, which means that today God knows every tick-tock of your clock. And be careful, because as you get older, the clock tick-tocks quicker than ever before, or so it appears to be. I blinked, and I saw 2014 had gone. When it just seems like one moment ago, we were here one year ago. Don't blink. <laughs> Keep your eyes wide open. Time travels very fastly, very quickly. But God holds the times and the seasons. The Bible says, my times are in his hands. His promises will surely stand. Times and seasons and the Bible says God sent Jesus right on schedule. 
He'd been preparing the world for the coming of Jesus. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 say, But when the fullness of the time had come, right on the nail, right on the very moment, in the season that God had planned, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so in the coming of Christ, not only was the physical gap bridged, but also the temporal gap, that living in this world of space and time, God entered into it, bridging that gap so that we could see him for who he is. And remember, Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. But the physical gap and the time gap wasn't the biggest gap. The biggest gap of all was the spiritual gap, the gap between the holiness of God in all his splendor and infinite holy purity the gap between him and us in our current state, sinful, rebellious human beings, and the gap between the absolute holiness of God and our rebellious, self-determined sinfulness, that gap was the gap he was really looking to bridge. Yes, he is righteous and pure, so pure he can't look upon evil, We've so rebelled and turned against him, looking, after, looking for other gods. But here the Bible says that this one was made under the law. Why was Jesus subjected to the law of Moses? To fulfill righteousness and prepare for us a righteousness as a gift. Wow, I just feel like walking around a little bit and enjoying my robes of righteousness. You do not see a gray-haired man in a gray suit. When you look at me, you should be seeing the righteousness of Jesus Christ because that's how God looks at me and how God looks at you. It's a gift walking in the robes of righteousness, the spotless, pure righteousness of Jesus Christ that can never, ever, ever fade, spoil because it's a done deal. He did all of that so that we could, by the gift of his grace, be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and therefore have confidence in the name of Jesus to approach this wonderful, holy God. And it's even more than that because you may say this external robe is very good because it covers up what's going on inside. But God doesn't just give us a a new set of clothes. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And I really want you to get this because these books have come, Revolution Within. I've been mentioning it before by Dwight Edwards, who is a distant relative of the great Jonathan Edwards. And it's talking about the revolution within, talking about the new covenant, what God has done on the inside. So we've got good clothes on the outside and good stuff is happening on the inside. We are being changed from glory to glory and every Christmas we are more holy than the previous Christmas or so it should be because he's given us the grace to change and live a life that is glorifying to God. And the life he's given us is a life to demonstrate the kingdom. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he took our place so that the kingdom could come into us and we could spread the kingdom. So suddenly now we're part of his story and no longer are we enemies or opponents, but we are part of the same kingdom, the kingdom of God. And this gap between us and God and us and each other is bridged forever. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This great bridge has been healed or the brokenness has been healed because God came down. And that's what the angels were talking about when they said a Savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord. But then when all the angels come together, that was a solo, and now the angels come together for that great heavenly choir and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. This is announcing something else. Not just that the gap has been bridged, but the cosmos has been changed. This is a great cosmic change because heaven and earth now are at peace. And the kingdom of God is being inaugurated. It's a process. We are part of it, but the angels proclaim it. The kingdom has come. Peace on earth. This is the shalom of God, the well-being of God. Peace is not just an absence of war. Peace is a positive expression of the shalom of God, the peace of God, the nature of God, the well-being of God. And the angels announced the good news that the kingdom was being established. And when Jesus came into this world, a shift took place in the cosmic realm that started a process that will end in the regeneration of the whole world, the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwells righteousness and the shalom of God will be seen and the Shekinah of God, the glory of God will be manifested in the earth and we are part of that great cosmic blessing. This plan, this mission, rescue mission, had a, a purpose in God, even before the creation of the world, had a cost that would take place in this world and this timing, and then there's an outcome which will lead to a regeneration of all things. The one God who came now knows firsthand what it is to live in this earthly life with all its joys and sorrows, with all its treachery and misunderstanding. But it began in eternity past. You see, when God created this, this world and put us in it, he created the world for us. It was our environment in which he could raise a family and share the wonderful joy and fellowship and communion that God was enjoying himself with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit from all eternity. And so he said, this is a wonderful plan. We're going to share this with a whole new uh, creation called human beings. I'm going to make them in my image and I'm going to give them free will so they can freely choose to be part of this great celebration. But the father warned, it's going to go wrong. They are going to make the wrong choice. So we better be prepared for this. And God from eternity past, had a plan, a plan that he would institute, knowing 
that we would abuse our freedom. Freedom is such an amazing thing, it's very hard not to abuse it. God knew we'd abuse it, so he said, I've got a plan. And here is the plan. The plan is that I am going to send my son into this world and he's going to change it all around and he's going to make it right again. In Genesis 3.15, there's this first promise of the gospel in which God speaks to the snake. Call him what he is, snake. Don't use all this highfalutin language, the serpent. Oh, the snake is the word. I don't know why Bible translators translate snake as serpent. Snake means the same thing. But they borrow language from mythology, the serpent. No, it's a snake. Amen? Ah. Nuka, that's the word in Swahili. All right, snake. So he speaks to the snake after the fall, and he says to the snake, I will put enmity, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the bruising of the head really means a crushing. So it's not two equal injuries here. There is an injury done to the seed of the woman who is Christ. His heel is bruised. But his heel is bruised because it was bruised in the act of crushing Satan's head. Hallelujah. There's the cross. There's the cross right there. God built up to this, having promised it in Genesis 3.15 throughout the whole history of the Old Testament. He built up to it until finally, in the person of his son, he became part of it in history. History. He became part of history in order to change history. God entered his creation in a genuinely human and physical body, physical form, And from the very beginnings of the birth of Christ up to his public ministry, leading on to his rejection by death on the cross, and then on to his resurrection and ultimately taking his rightful place back in heaven, all of this was to so work in, in history as to create a hinge upon which Human destiny turns. In this book, which we mentioned to you earlier, which is the celebration, commemoration of 100 years of Elam, this building was the founder of our movement's main base, Central Church, based here in this church, George Jeffries. And this book has been put together, do get it, These are the first copies on sale anywhere in Britain. So get your copies today. And uh, Christopher Cartwright, who used to be part of our pastoral team here, masterminded this, and together with other members of the NLT, we've been pulling this together over the last last few months. How do you tell a 100 years story in just one modestly sized but beautifully produced coffee table book? Well, we decided to pick on some defining moments which really are hinges 
defining moments on which the, the history, the story that God has been telling through our movement for a hundred years, and no, I wasn't there at the beginning, that history has, has turned on hinges. And there are some examples where even that phrase is used of how when God works just seems to be just a one tiny decision that somebody makes hooks in with the eternal purposes of God and so many things are manifested in the earth realm. And this reminds us that God is in charge of the hinges. And we need to know sometimes that events happen to us, defining moments take place in our lives that define us negatively. There may be things that have happened to us. Abuse, pain, problems, tragedy, disasters, wrong choices that we have made that tend to define us and everything hinges on that until a bigger hinge is found, a better hinge, and that's the kingdom of God. Unhook yourself. Get unhinged today. Unhinge yourself from the old. Hook onto the new because in the kingdom of God, there are defining moments in history in which God has acted which can transform your whole life and you can see a complete revolution in life and living. Indeed, when Christ came and accomplished all that he accomplished, it was a sure thing that nothing would ever be the same again. Once he descended, everything would be different. Because the coming of Christ now is an eternal reference point, bookmarking the most decisive chapter in God's story. Before he came, there was darkness. But now the light shines. Before there was sadness. But now there's rejoicing. Before there was selfishness and and God indifference. Now there is love and passion for our Creator and our Redeemer. Before where there was sin, now there is forgiveness. There's redemption. That is the kingdom of God. No wonder the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Of course, it took the whole life and death of Jesus to bring this about. And, uh, of course, it's still not over yet because it's going to take the rest of the course of human history to see this fully outworked. But remember, this is a cosmic change. It doesn't, it doesn't end when the last person who's going to be saved gets saved. It's not just a change in us. It's a change in the whole cosmos, whole change in the whole creation which was in bondage to, to sin and decay. And we as, as believers remind ourselves at Christmas time that he came to do a job and he's coming again to see the fulfillment of what he started 2,000 years ago. And this is where our hope lies. We recall it all in the Christmas story. It all began when God stepped down from heaven to earth. It all begins in that little baby package that was delivered on Christmas Day, that first Christmas Day. So when we celebrate today, Christmas in 2014, what are we celebrating? 
many things. Let me suggest a few to you. We're celebrating the start of something new. Something new in you. Something new in your family, in your community. A gap has been bridged. An unbridgeable gap has been bridged between God and us so that we could begin again with God and with each other. You know, in many ways, every day is Christmas Day. December 25th isn't certainly not the day that Jesus was born. If you want to do some study on it, it's probably around springtime. But somewhere, sometime, somebody said, let's do it on December 25th. And why not, okay? Take one day. But that reminds us, it was December 25th, wasn't it? was definitely not Jesus' birthday, but we choose that day to remember. But in choosing that day, it could be any day, because every day the same truth applies. We celebrate every day. And if you do what I do, last thing at night, little reflection on the day that's gone, and I say, well, thank you, Jesus. You know, God willing, another day is coming. And in the, in the morning, hello, a new day, a new beginning, new mercies, new grace, new challenges, new opportunities. Thank God for new beginnings. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It is day after day of a one new beginning followed by another new beginning and another new beginning. This process of constant renewal in our lives. So this Christmas, begin again. Thank you, Jesus. Begin again with God. Get fresh with Him. Begin again with one another. But remember, it is only the beginning. God hasn't finished with us yet. We are works in progress. Have a, have a close look at me now. What do you see? A work in progress. I'm not the finished article. And neither, don't look so holy, neither are you. We are part of a process. This is taking time. But we're on the way. And, and the, 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 the outcome is certain. God who began will finish that great cosmic proclamation, which takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe it, because if we say, peace on earth, well, hasn't he heard of what's going on in Syria? Hasn't he heard what's going on? And now North, North Korea, South Korea, everybody's arguing about all kinds. Say, where is this peace? It begins as Christ rules in our hearts. The peace begins here, but it doesn't end here. I have peace with God, end of story. No, that's just the beginning. That peace is going to break out of your life, and it's going to break out of the church as such into our community and out breaking out of our community, touching our nation, out of our nation to touch the nations, and even out of the human population, it's going to impact creation itself when God recreates heaven and earth, new heavens and new earth. God hasn't finished with us yet. The story is still being told in my life and your life. The only difference is angels aren't given any longer the commission to proclaim Glory to God in the highest and earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That has been given to us. 
Not only are we part of the benefit of the mission, we are part of the mission itself. We are called to shine forth His light in a dark place, knowing that one day the whole universe will blaze with the fully floodlit glory of God, unveiling God who He really is. He will be seen in us and through us, and we will see Him Everything that God purposed that first Christmas, everything that God declared through the angels in that statement of a renewed, transformed cosmos, a great cosmic mission accomplished, everything that was proclaimed and prophesied about, we will see with our own eyes. When faith will no longer be necessary for our very eyes will see him and his kingdom will be fully manifested. Everything, give him praise, yes. Singers and musicians, please. Everything that he purposed and began that first Christmas is being outworked. Do you know when I'm preaching like this, entering into the spirit of my message, do you know what I kind of sense? It's my imagination. It's not actually happening. But what I kind of sense is this current of God's love carrying us with all our difficulties, all the things that we do which we shouldn't do, and all the things that we don't do that we should do, like who else have you forgotten this Christmas? And all the stuff you're not going to get done and all those New Year's resolutions, just keep them from one year to the next. Bring them out once a year because you never get them done. All the stuff that we feel, God, you know, we're not, not really everything we should be, but, but we are being carried along with the current of his love like this wonderful release of some glorious power and blessing entering the world and we are being carried along by the river of his grace until that final destination. All of this which was set in motion when God came down, it will happen. And we will live forever together, seeing Him, beholding Him, and worshiping Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for the glory that is Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only of the Father. We beheld His glory. Those gospel writers saw Him. We don't see Him, but we know Him in a better way because He lives within our hearts. And His Spirit is constantly spotlighting His wonderful face. Let our faith grow this Christmas time. Help us to take our eyes off the unseen off the seen to the unseen by faith. For we walk at this time not by sight, but by faith. Help us realize it's not a realm of imagination. It is a realm of reality. God's kingdom has come. And we worship Him.